Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney, over there Steve. Hiya. Hiya. And it's that time of the year again. Uh, we've been uh, a little lax on it for the past couple years. Well, kind of, sort of. I think last year was Batman. Maybe. It's the wintertime season nearing the solstice, the end of the year. And around it, Microphones of Madness, we like the uh, old Anglophilic tradition of ghost stories. When you put it that way, it kind of sounds lame. Well, you know, <laughs> since we've skipped it a couple of years, I guess we should go, go into it. I mean, it's the dark of the year. Nobody fucking does it. Except for people who maybe watched um, A Christmas Carol and its infinite variations. I prefer Scrooge myself. Well, it, that counts as the infinite variations. Yes, I know. That's but, the variation but I, yes, I prefer. Bill Murray. What's, what's the second one? The Muppets? Oh, uh, yeah, the Muppets do it. It's like a uh, an old blues song. Everybody has a version. Yeah, of it. it's kind of a cinematic standard, I guess. And there's enough versions of it that you could have your top five versions of a Christmas Carol. And there's probably a heavy metal version, hmm. rock opera version by the Who. Yeah. But for us, we like. Uh, written ghost stories around Christmas time rather than films. That's true. And this year's entry into the Christmas time ghost story uh, is a story that follows that tradition. Uh, we're talking Mr. James. Mr. James. <laughs> uh, we're talking about The Mesotent by M.R. James. Uh, this was originally penned um, it was in his first collection, Ghost Stories of an Antiquary, uh, yeah, but those are all but that was all like, the, yeah. in whatever the strand was for him, right. <laughs> for, for Mr. James. But that's, that's where it was first collected. I mean, a lot of this stuff early, early 1900s sort of time, uh, when he would, Mr. James would uh, tell ghost stories on Christmas Eve. Spend all year writing them so he could tell them at the annual Christmas party. Right. So he could win the Christmas goose. Yep. The best rendering of a ghost story by an Englishman. Yep. Now, um, I've read I've read this particular story several times. Um because it's so short, it's something that you can like, oh, I feel like reading a story. Oh, okay, mesotent. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I got 45 minutes and I need to read a, and I want to read a story. So. I had never read this story before. I know I picked it and I did it randomly. Right. It's it actually, been, uh, it had the coolest name. Right. One of the more, I think it's, uh, obviously, the, what is it? The turn of the screw, the one that Wesley keeps recommending, right? Uh, is probably the more most famous. 
I think the Mezza tent is probably the, the second most famous. Not the Rose Garden? Mm, nope. Which we had done previously. That's right. We year. did that one, one. We did a whole string of them one year. Yep. That and that beckoning fair one by... Yep. Oliver by, Onions. Uh, Guilford Garlic. <laughs> Guilford Garlic. All right. So, the Mezzotent is a story. Larry the Leak. In that... Uh, in that early 1900s newspaper, uh, pulp fiction, epistolary style kind of, sort of. Um, yeah, so uh, before we get into this, Rodney, what's a mezzotint? It's a type of engraving. Uh, if you want a dictionary definition, well, we'll have to ask our good friends at uh, that one with a hundred zeros behind it. A mezzotint is, is a t- print um from an engraving and i guess it was the first um machine machined engraving style that allowed for um variations in in tint and shadow Mm -hmm. uh in fact mezzotint is italian for half tone there you go you learn something new every day. What we would call a black and white print. Yes. But pre-photograph. Pre-photograph. It's mm. kind of like a, a silkscreen. Well, alternative photograph. Right, the time of early photographs. But you would take an etching, run ink over it, press it onto paper. Right, like a silkscreen. Right. Or a woodblock. Mm, lithograph. Right. So you just so you get the idea, right? It's a picture. It demystifies <laughs> the name. <laughs> it does. It does. All right. So the story is written in this almost conversational tone, where the author is addressing the person who's listening or reading at the time. Well, I like the fact that the author the. The action of the story mm-hmm. doesn't happen to the author themselves. Mm-hmm. It happens to a buddy of the author. Right. It's kind of, you know, oh, yeah, well, there's no cannibals here. They're over there. <laughs> or, uh, oh, well, my friend, uh, I, I don't believe in Q and on, but I've got a buddy. Who right. swears by everything, right? So, right. It, it it kind of uh, it has that mystical lending of credence to something because you know you know the guy. Yeah, and like a friend of a friend, you know, somebody else tells the story. Ah, it, you know, and it's got that kind of that oral tradition about it. You know, you can just imagine the narrator, uh, you know, sitting in a leather high back chair. Next to a fire, you know, sipping brandy or something. Oh, let me tell you about my friend Deniston. Or Jim. <laughs> Jim. No, gin. Yeah. Sipping gin. Hmm. But it was probably brandy. Brandy, cognac, something like that. Something dark. Um, you know, and, and smoking cigars and you know, stuff like that. You know. Right, calling each other... Um, 
uh, old old bean. Old bean, old man. <laughs> old man. And it deals with the narrator's friend, Deniston, uh, who bought etchings and and topographical maps and stuff for the college museum. Uh, he didn't even get to do like the cool shit. He's just like the guy that goes through and says, "Okay, we're missing plate number six three. Right. Um, <laughs> he's the guy that fills in the holes in the collection. Yeah, well, they make it a point to say that he doesn't do the paranormal stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's like one of the first things you learn is this guy has a very ordinary job. These things don't normally happen to people like him. Right. He's not in the occultist division searching the continent for for ancient manuscripts and you know, depictions of cosmic beings. He's like uh, Map of Johnson's Farm. Stuff right. like that. And he has a correspondence with a man named Brittnell, who... Yes, apparently, apparently there are suppliers. Right, of such of, things. Of boring maps. That's right. J.W. Brittnell and the map of the traffic circle at 3rd. Right. Not exactly. Uh, uh, well, oh boy, I hear you're in the I hear you're in the market for a uh, acreage plot map of Upper Essex. Right now, one of the other things that he that that this Britnell does is he does etchings and engravings and and mezzotints and prints and things like that of usually homes or landscapes in the in the area. Of topographical maps as well, right? Which is some interest to an archivist as well, as it's like, oh, well, this is what was there in blah blah blah, whatever right. year. And so, eighteen fifty X, right? Eighteen fifty X. So, Britnell sends a letter to our friend Deniston here, saying, "Hey, man, I got something really cool." Uh, I'll sell it to you for the honest price of uh, two pounds, two shillings, which is an outrageous price, apparently, for for a, a print. For a print. Uh, a, a poor print uh, of an unknown house. Right. The, the, the label is damaged on the back of this print. Uh, so, so it, it, and apparently the quality isn't all that good. It's pretty bad. It's a boring picture of the facade of a house and the the front garden. Mm-hmm. It's it's the um, print equi- in etching equivalent of a child drawing a card uh, crayon house, a well, block no, it's, with it's windows like, and a door, and more like a hotel painting. Right. <laughs> that that's the impression I got. It was just. It, it was adequate, but it wasn't anything special. Some it was like those, a hotel painting. Like those or hotel paintings or that stuff you buy at the furniture store? Yeah. Or maybe the picture that comes with the frame. Ooh, damn. But, nothing remarkable. Right. Nothing Nothing remarkable. However, it is sent to him. The Britnell thinks this, this unremarkable print is so remarkable... In fact, that he sends it to Deniston 
uh, on credit, essentially. Yeah, like, just uh, when you check it out, at least check it out. Tell me can, this yeah. this print is not worth two pounds. Right, because he says there's no print that's worth two pounds. Right. I've seen some prints, and there's no print that's worth two pounds. Yes, maybe if I saw the print, it maybe there's something that's eye-catching about it, but, you know. So he, he receives it, um, and it's unremarkable. <laughs> right. Until he takes it to a party. Yes, I often take my spec art to to parties. Well, that would be the equivalent of us, one of us uh, getting together and say, "Hey, check out this uh, this rule book or whatever." Well, he does show it to a friend of his who is from the art department. Uh, his friend's name is Williams. Uh, Mr. And, Williams. Yep. Yes. Uh, and Williams says, well, you know, it's not bad. Uh, it's not worth two guineas. <laughs> oh, Binks. His name is Binks. It's not too bad, but, you know, it's, you know, some parts of it are good. The moonlight, the way the moonlight hits the manor is pretty cool. And, uh, but there were no figures in it. It's just like boring, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And then his friend says, but there is a figure. What? Yeah, there's a, uh, just the hint of a figure at the edge in front. Yep. And sure enough, they look at it, and he must have missed it before, because now you see that there is a uh, hardly more than a black bot blocked on the extreme edge of the engraving, the head of a man or woman good deal muffled up the back turned to the spectator and looking towards the house mm -hmm. but uh williams had not noticed it for prior now should we spoil a hundred and some odd year old story um see so well the thing is <laughs> i don't think we should spoil it because then no one's going to read it right the thing about this story, and, and remember, it's it's a M.R. James ghost story. Mm. This is actually more along the lines of a weird tale, yep, than a straight up ghost story. Um, but this is something that if you like Lovecraft or Poe or Robert E. Howard stuff like that, or um, you know, The Willows. If if you like that kind of stuff, you really like the story. So I don't want to spoil it for you because it's really that's it's not a ghost per se. It's like weird happenstance that happens around this print. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, the mystery deepens. The print moves. Stuff. The print changes. Right. As, as time goes on and different people look at it, the figure uh, moves across the lawn and it, it's sinister looking. And, you know, there's bad vibes coming from this, this picture. But being the stout English people that they are, they can't just turn their backs on it. They must... Right. We must find out what happened. They, it 
for for the the gentleman here, this is this picture becomes kind of must see TV. <laughs> right, exactly, <laughs> and, and that's kind of what it is because um, it's eighteen fifty X in in England. So yeah, there's nothing better to do, and. And we are talking about like college professors and stuff of the yes, time. college professor and the janitor. That's the best part. Was oh the yes, valet. the janitor, the valet, the valet. Who's <laughs> you know? I love the way they they write the common folk. Like they're all like salt of the earth. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't put that picture in my my daughter's bedroom, sir. <laughs> It's it's almost comical, but like they all do it. Sherlock Holmes is the same way. Whenever they come across somebody, you know, the Bowery the, Street Boys. Yeah, they all they're always cockneyed up. <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's it, it would be kind of like if the the butler was from Texas or something. And he's like, I wouldn't look at that picture, sir, boss. You know, same 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 basic thing. I mean, you know, we right. gotta have this. This this regional uh, stereotype and and England is no different, but it was a little bit Probably hard. Probably less so than most, <laughs> right? But it was a little bit hard um, to keep up because he does write in the dialect, um, including spelling. <laughs> well, a lot of people do that. Right, he tends to does that. Skeleton, skeleton. Skellington. Right. So it's like there's no doubt about how this character is pronouncing these words. Yes, they don't have to say the valet from Cockney. Right. From the <laughs> from, from Muswell Hill. Right. And you could see him there with his uh checkered hat. <laughs> yeah, he's got like a pork pie on. He's like, Hello. <laughs> <laughs> a bill cap. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I can't, the only thing I couldn't really gr- grasp from that particular sequence was how old that character was. Well, he had a daughter. Yes. Now he's from Boston. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, that that's my regional Southie. He's a Southie. If, if he was working at Harvard, he'd, he'd be from Southie. <laughs> right. Exactly. So he's old enough to have a daughter who is fairly uh, a young. small daughter, yeah. Young enough to be frightened and have nightmares of Bible pictures. Yes, that's Mr. Filcher. That's no. right. No lie, that's the guy's name. A name is not my own invention. <laughs> right. Mr. Filcher. I wonder if that's where uh JK got the name for the caretaker of Hogwarts. Uh, Filch. Yeah. Oh, it's possible. Not that we care where J.K. got anything. It's just interesting. Yeah, little influences and things. And and so we have this basically this adventure self-contained within a couple of a uh, couple of rooms at a college, and very uh, you know, write what you know, I guess. <laughs> Which which amuses me because the best the best uh, one of the best jokes I've seen was uh, the one here early on. Oh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? 
go. That is a funny joke. I'm looking for it. I'm looking for it. Something Lee Hall. Nope, that was kind of that was pretty good. But no, the one about uh, the one about golf. Oh. They talked about golf, and I won't recount any of that here because golf is so terribly boring. <laughs> Basically, that was the gist of what he wrote. Yeah, it, it was like they play golf because it's boring. They, they they played golf and it was boring, and then they talked about golf, and that was boring. So don't make me talk about golf here. Yeah. As if as if someone in the audience is, was going to like, well, what did he shoot? You know, where, right. where did they play? <laughs> I don't know. It's not important. So, overall, what did you think of this story outside of uh, Well, he actually says, oh, I'll tell you exactly what he okay. says. Um, uh, Hall and Mr. Williams' college was at seven. It need not be dwelt upon, but less so as he met their, their colleagues who had been playing golf during the afternoon. The words on, with which we have no concern were freely bandied across the table, merely golfing words I would hasten to explain. Nope, that was, so that was the second says, reference to golf. They were talking about golf, and I couldn't care less. Right. Uh, that part wasn't relayed to me because it doesn't have any bearing on... Yeah, Miss M.R. James does not care about golf. Nope. And you know what? More power to him. It's like I, these I guys... Feel, I feel the same way. Yep. It's it's might be interesting to actually play, although it is an expensive hobby. It is terrible to have to hear anybody talk. I can't really figure that it would be ex- exciting to play. Well, then again, neither one of us has played it, so maybe some yeah. mini golf. Played it in high school when we had to for gym class. Oh, wow. We had tennis. <coughs> so... What did you think overall? Um, I actually enjoyed it for the most part. It was pretty lighthearted uh, for a weird tale. It didn't have that doom and gloom that I normally associate with that. Right. Um, the ending is kind of hit or miss, I thought. Mm-hmm. Not trying to spoil it, but uh, it, it, I think... It could have been tied together a little bit better circumstantially, if that makes any sense. Like, why then? Why did they get to see all this? Right. And why was it a one-shot deal? You know what I'm saying? Like, what's the connection that makes this particular thing happen and special? Right, right. Although I'm not entirely convinced... That it's a one-shot deal. Because, You're thinking anyone the, who sees it, uh, it might have something to do with timing that. or something, uh, because the the uh, the dealer, the antiquities dealer, thought this one was so very interesting, and I'm sure that's why, you know, the price tag was as, as exorbitant as it was why he was in such a rush for this, our, our narrator to see something like that. So so this I think the the dealer has seen the complete event 
uh, himself, and he's like, "Hey, you got to see this." Mm, possibly, I think it could have. Uh, in a way, some sometimes these things are better left to the imagination of the reader. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, and a uh, further revelation, like, "Oh, it was my uncle." Dun, dun, dun. Right. Yeah. See, I. I yeah, I, I get where you're coming from on the ending, um, you know, and then the the implication that that it hasn't happened again, which is that's the thing that's weird, you know. It's like, but on a certain night when the weather conditions are just right, or on a certain calendar date, you can. See yeah, maybe or, but it, but maybe, but they could have like somehow put that in there, right? Just you know, that's really the only weak part. Or maybe, here here's a thought, maybe since there was this tongue-in-cheek kind of feel to the story, right, and we're talking to, the narrator is speaking to a particular audience, and it, James did read these aloud, maybe it was, a, the picture is described in such a way that maybe it actually existed in the collection, because he gives a lot of information as to, you know, catalog numbers and stuff like that on it so you're saying that perhaps this was an actual picture that they had up yeah or, or people or would in be the familiar the right. people that his audience would be familiar with so he just said it to right he kind of like, like, like a campfire story right, right right not just wove the tale as a complete fiction but kind of almost made it a augmented reality story concerning right. something that's Really boring. He like he made up a story to go along with something that just the real story is terrible. Now that's kind of cool, mm-hmm. and I think maybe a, um, a editor's or publisher's introduction would would be you know, uh, appropriate mm-hmm. for to 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 talk about that, and maybe they do somewhere. Right, right. Maybe in a, an edition of of uh, the book, this was in something. But for right now, we were just taking the story as it were. Yeah. And of course, I mentioned I read it several times, so you know it's it is kind of a favorite of mine because it is kind of weird. And yeah, the ending gets me every time too. It's like that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, a lot of weird tales kind of are like that. Right. That's it. Right. I mean, it's got a better ending than The Window, The Window. That's true. That's true. I mean, at least they explained some shit to you first. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I know that place. What do we do when we fall down, Mr. Bruce? (laughs) (laughs) You know, that was was Varkas Bluetooth. Who, Alfred? Yeah. Oh. I, I started with Michael Caine, and Michael Caine drinks a lot of whiskey. And you go that. Oh. <laughs> All right, so, oh. No, happy Hanukkah. Yeah, I was just about to say that. It is, we're recording this well, on the first well, day, correct? Yes. We, it is sundown. Let me set the scene. It is sundown. My daughter comes down and says, when's Hanukkah? I look out the window and I say, oh shit, it's now. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice. And of course, 
you know, the solstice is coming up. Uh, this is a big week around my house, too, because... Yeah, like, the wolves uh, are eating the moon. <laughs> yep. But not just the wolves eating the moon. That's that's also a big major event around our house. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, Mia and Gwen both have birthdays. Oh, nice. Happy birthday, Mia and Gwen. Happy birthday, <laughs> Mia and Gwen. There, see? Maybe we got that. I don't know. Could be. But, uh, yeah, so happy holidays, whatever the hell it is you celebrate. Yes. Unless, of course, it is um, the first church of Galactology. Yeah. (laughs) None of those guys. So, yep. Happy Hanukkah to you, Steve. Thank you. Happy Hanukkah to you and yours. Merry Solstice. Cool Yule. Uh, Bloody Bill. What's that? Bloody Bloody Beltane. Uh, No, that's months from now. (laughs) (laughs) So, yep. Happy happy winter holidays, whatever it is you celebrate from all of us here at Microphones of Madness. Both of us. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure those other guys care. And until we see you next time. Oh, um, I haven't figured anything out yet, so... Uh, jingle jingle. balls don't go changing